Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Trouble and Strife, a RuneScape audio drama. Written and narrated by Josh Hayes, supported by my wonderful patrons. The ambient music in this episode is composed by Michael Gelfi. Episode 7, Rune Mysteries, Part 3. Varrock was intense. Every aspect of life was larger, brazen. Whichever way you turned and whichever way you looked, something was thrust in your face. Fresh bread, begged pies, forged swords, piles of chipped runestones, clothes, armor, everything was for sale. Anyone not trying to sell you something was pushing past. Everyone was in a rush. Everyone had places to be. I had managed to push my way through the crowd in the central square and take a seat by the stone water feature in the middle. The four expertly chiseled statues of the central square towering above the crowd, with water running down them and dripping into a stone pool on the floor. Some children were flicking in tarnished coins to the water as parents cheered them on, making whatever wishes children had. Varok was a trading town, one of the largest in the land, and broadly divided into six sections. Each main quarter of the city, the royal palace to the north playing home to the king and queen, and sat on the northwest outskirts, the trading hub of the Grand Exchange. I hadn't seen any of the vast city, save the short walk from the southern gate to the main square. The main square itself was the meeting point of all the streets and roads, a vast crossroads that opened into a plaza, and with the paths came the people. If you had to get anywhere in the city, you'd pass through here. The square was a buzz of energy. Market traders sat round the edge on the grass verge, screaming over the din of people, over the endless drone of city life. I could hear about deals on fur, magical staffs, and a newspaper caller belting out the latest headlines. One man was sat close by on the decorative stone pillars of the small pool by my side, leaning forward deeply and idly gliding his fingertips through the water, leaving long, lonely trails as he wafted from side to side. He wore a finely tailored suit, a form-fitting salmon-coloured jacket, tailored purple trousers, and was tightly gripping a glorious bouquet of flowers, brilliant blue and pink and purple petals exploding out of perfect green stems. I had managed to find a baker's stall earlier, just off to the side of the main square, and waited patiently in line to order, then discovered that patience and lines had no place in Varrock. Your chance to order food was based on how loud you ordered and how hard you pushed to the front. I wasn't hungry, but the stray dog that had attached itself to me was, and I promised the Salia I'd feed it. So I forced my way to the front of the throng of people, quickly ordered the pie of the day, whatever that may have been, then escaped back through the shouting mass of customers. The dog had seemed happy with it, and devoured it whole. I don't think I even saw him chew, just inhale. Now full of pie, he was standing calmly by my side as I sat in the centre of the square, watching people pass by. I had wanted to explore the city. I'd only seen a small part of the main street in the square, but sightseeing would have to wait. I had Cedridor's letter burning a hole in my pocket and a rune shop to find. I stood up, a complex thing while surrounded by people, packed in like flour, and asked, Excuse me, can anyone? No one was listening to me. No one in a crowd ever listens to anyone. I pushed my way through the writhing mass of people, heading toward what looked like a quieter side of the square to the east. I could see a grand oak tree with thick, full leaves, and behind it, a stone building with open archways instead of doors, 
wooden crates stacked up by the pillars. As I got closer, I saw the building was a blacksmith's shop. A wooden painted sign of an anvil hanging from the archway support held up by strong thick chains. Inside, anvils lined up in rows with various shapes and sizes of metal bent over each one, swords folded and axes chipped. Horseshoes were hanging on the wall alongside various clay moulds. A solid wooden workbench had an iron clamp bolted to one side and I could hear the screeching of a turning lathe. Over the far side, built into the brick of the building itself, was a roaring hearth, surrounded by barrels full of metal chips ready to be smelted. Working away on an anvil, hammer firmly in hand and sweat pouring from a furrowed brow, a blacksmith pounded away. He wore a heavy leather apron with various tools tucked into the pocket pouch in front. I stepped through the archway entrance and looked around. The smell, heat, sweat, wood chips, the sharp metal tang that hangs in the air and chews at the back of your throat. The stray dog had chosen to wait outside by the oak tree. As I looked around the shop, the blacksmith struck the anvil hard, then placed his hammer down and looked over at me. What do you need? In Lumbridge, I'd have been met with a friendly hello or a how's your day, but Varrock really was another world. I shouted back, I'm looking for Aubrey. The blacksmith rubbed his hands on his apron, cleaning away grime and sweat. Fellow that sells runes? I nodded. That's the one. Where would I find him? The blacksmith had finished wiping his hands down, then reached into the front pocket of the dirty apron, pulled out an apple and took a large bite. He spat out small bits of apple as he spoke. Probably in the rune shop, what with him selling runes and all. Brilliant, a pedantic blacksmith. Varrock was getting better by the minute. He hadn't broken eye contact and took another bite of the apple. I decided to ask more directly. My name is Strife and I don't know where the rune shop is. Another bite of apple and more chewing as he replied. My name's Horvick and I do. The day gets better and better. I think I knew what was going on by now. I reached into my pocket and pinched a coin between my fingers, then flicked it over to Horvick. He caught it, still chewing away, swallowed, and then spoke. Keep going east along this path. He pointed through an open archway down a path. Then turn right before the bank, down the dirt path between the houses, then left. It's got a rune hanging outside. Try not to get lost. He finished the last bite of apple and threw the core across the room into the small furnace. It landed with a faint, wet hiss. As he picked up his hammer and returned to smithing, he added, I'd say you can't miss it, but you can. He raised his hammer above his head, then struck the metal he was working on, turning and striking, turning and striking. And with that, I turned and walked out of the archway. Back outside, the dog had been lying on the floor, head resting on its old paws. It stretched and walked over to my side, looking up, likely expecting more pie. Its fur was grey and matted and its skin raw, but those eyes still had a certain sparkle. I reached down and scratched it under the neck, and it rubbed its head against my hand in appreciation. As I was petting the dog, I heard Horvick's voice boom from inside the shop. Make sure he's fed. I straightened up and shouted back, Whose dog is this anyway? Horvick was still working away and replied, Everyone's. The dog was sat wagging its tail, and I couldn't help but smile. It wasn't a stray, it just had a city-sized home. 
Come on, boy. Let's go find Aubrey. The path Horvick had pointed me down was much quieter than the main square. A steady stream of people still flowed back and forth, but I could take steps now, full-sized strides, without kicking someone's shins or treading on a trailing cape. The path he'd sent me down took me to the eastern part of the city. I passed a small ring of benches all facing a fountain, clusters of trees casting shade on the ground, wooden fences running along, then breaking or stopping, seemingly guarding nothing from no one, but adding a little structure to the rambling stone path. Ahead of me, I could see the path I was on turn to the left, and down this new street stood a giant stone building, easily as big as the royal castle, an expansive staircase leading from the path to the grand double doors. Five massive round columns on each side of the front entrance held up the overhanging roof, and through the open doors I could just make out glass cases with skeletons on display and red velvet guard ropes hanging from small golden pillars. It was the Varrock Museum. I'd have to make time and visit it one day. Horvick's directions had told me to turn right before the bank, and back on my street I could see a building creeping into view on the right, two stories tall, green glass windows, a small stone outer wall, hip-high and well-cleaned. Outside, a man with a twigged broom was sweeping away the dirt and leaves, whistling as people passed by. Through the green windows, I could see well-dressed bank tellers, grey suits and skirts, serving queues of people from the bank booths. Definitely the right place, and as Horvick said, a new dirt path draws out to the right, down the side of the bank, and towards a more dangerous-looking side of town. This path led me away from the crowds, away from the hustle and bustle of the main part of the city. I was thankful to have room to breathe, and the dog enjoyed being able to bounce around a little more, but I didn't like the general feeling of the place, and as I made my way along the dirt path, I felt eyes above me, watching. Windows were open, and lines of string from house to house, crossing high above my head. Washing hung from each of them just as before, but the clothes this time were worn away, ripped or patched up. Birds perched on the edges of buildings, and left streaks of bright white bird poo down the side. Roofing tiles had slid off and smashed into uncleared piles on the floor. I walked further in. The path curved between slanted buildings and wooden huts, snaking into the city slums. The drain pipe on one building running down the brickwork and emptying straight out onto the path through a jagged end, leaving a thin trickle of blackened water seeping across my way. More corners, more wooden buildings, some leaning and falling down in patches, others fixed with ugly bands of metal hammered across them at awkward angles. Another corner, and I could just about see it in the distance, above the crumbled bricks and splintered wood littering the floor, a painted wooden ruin, hanging by frayed twine outside a shop door. The rounded building of the room shop was built into the mess of other buildings around it, and I couldn't see inside the door, but this was definitely the place. The dog was walking closer to my side now, its steps slowed to match mine, almost cautious, as it trotted along by my side. I'd almost reached the shop door, when I heard pounding footsteps, many sets of them closing in on me from behind. I turned the moment I heard them and was knocked onto my back by a heavy weight, a person running into me at full speed. It took a moment for the blur to focus, and then I saw him, the face of a young man, sprawled on the floor next to me, his eyes filled with fear and terror, panting hard. 
his gaze darting around everywhere, scanning the rooftops and side streets. He looked at me, then scrambled to his feet and sprinted away to join the group he'd been running with. They'd long since disappeared into a nearby alleyway. As he ran, something unclipped from a harness he was wearing round his shoulders and tumbled to the floor. I shouted after him, Hey, you dropped something! He was gone, around the corner and away. I pulled myself up and dusted myself off. Honestly, I was so covered in dirt and grime by now, I didn't see the point in trying to keep myself clean until I got my new clothes. With most of the dry dust and splintered wood brushed off me, I walked over to the object that had fallen from the running man. It was a crossbow. I reached down and picked it up. A wooden stock and bronze metal limbs with a twisted bowstring. It was crudely made. The shape wasn't quite right, but it was oddly lighter than any other crossbows I'd held. The wooden stock had a design carved into one end. Then flourishes burned in black, likely the blade of a red-hot knife pressed against it. They looked like wings rising from black and ash, curling into a circle, oddly like a phoenix. As I studied the strange crossbow, more steps pounded round the corner, the same direction as before. I looked up and saw three figures, each wearing black trousers, sleeveless black vests and black hoods. Their bare arms were all covered in dirt, a mix of soot, ash and blood. I couldn't see any of their faces. They paced toward me, the central one raising his hands and pointing at the crossbow in my grip, then screamed, Phoenix scum! I looked down at the weapon, then back at the gang. I cried back, What? No! No, this isn't mine! A guy just... Before I could finish, the middle figure lunged at me, bringing his closed fist up and cracking me squarely across the jaw. The hit spun me round. I fell into the brick wall behind me and then crumpled to the floor. The shock of it stunned me. My jaw felt dislocated, and as I tried to breathe in, I felt a solid boot kick me in the stomach. I couldn't breathe. I was curled up on the floor, my face pressed against the filthy ground. I spluttered a painful cough and saw small droplets of blood spray from my mouth onto the dusty ground. I strained my neck to look, the hooded figure still standing above me, flexing the fingers on both hands, curling them into fists and back. I could see the other two waiting behind him further down the path. The dog ran towards one, yapping and barking away, and as it pulled up beside them, the figure stepped, then kicked the dog hard in the ribs, lifting it up off the ground and dropping it into a pile of weeds growing by the side of the house. I heard the high-pitched yelp of pain, and then silence as the dog's body lay sprawled out on the ground. The figure towering above me leaned down, roughly grabbed my neck and lifted me to my feet, pressing me against the bricks and bringing his scarred face close to mine as he spat through gritted teeth. Phoenix scum. He pushed my throat back against the wall with one hand and dropped the other down, punching me in the stomach. It knocked the wind out of me and as I gasped, I felt more blood running over my tongue and down my lower lip. I lifted my head with what strength I had and met the figure's gaze, eyes filled with hate. Dots of my own blood coughed onto his face. And then, behind the black hood, over his shoulder, I saw something else. Walking toward the two other hooded figures was a man, 
A dark blue cloak wrapped around him, with one arm reaching inside between the fold. The glint of a blade held tightly in his hand. They hadn't seen or heard him. And as he walked up behind one of them, clasped his arm and hand round the figure's mouth, raising the blade to the hooded figure's neck, and with terrifying grace and ease, sliced across. The figure let out a muffled scream and went to raise their arms up as the blue cloaked man held tightly around their mouth and pushed their body to the floor, blood streaming from the slit in their neck. The other hooded figure hardly had time to glance to the side and see what was happening before the blue cloaked man leapt at them, pushing them back against the building. The cloaked figure had pressed one of his arms against the hooded man's mouth, stifling his screams, and the other hand brought the dagger up straight under their chin and into the skull. The blue cloaked man was grasping the blade so hard and had driven it into the man's skull with such force that blood was pouring down over the blade and over his knuckles. The sound of muffled fighting only briefly happened, and then the black hooded man slumped to the floor. Hearing the dull commotion, the man holding me relaxed his grip and turned to look over his shoulder. I tried to push away or bring my knee up hard between his legs, but I still couldn't breathe and my body wouldn't move. My captor let out a bellowing, what the hell? He let go of my neck and I slid weakly down the brick wall and sat on the floor, still gasping. The hooded man turned to face the unknown assassin. I still couldn't see his face clearly. The blue cloak wrapped around his neck and jaw and the black hooded man standing between me and him. As I strained for a better view, I heard a step, a grunt, a slice, and then the hooded man fell back and hit the wall beside me, slowly sliding down to meet me on the floor. I could hear gurgling and coughing, wet, raspy gasps. I looked at the man slumped next to me. The hood had fallen back and I could see his face. Eyes wide, nostrils flared, and the handle of a dagger sticking out of his mouth. His teeth were slowly turning red as streaks of blood washed over them, and a stream of red dripping from his lower lip all over his body. As I strained my eyes further, I could make out the tip of a blade sticking out the back of his throat, the skin pulling around it. A few more coughs and gasps, a gurgle of guttural blood, and the man's eyes faded, his body loosened, and he sat still beside me. The blue cloaked figure looked around at the two bodies beside him with slit necks and the man beside me with the hole in the back of his throat, and then directly at me. I still couldn't make out his face, he walked over to the dog lying in the weeds to the side, kneeled down, reached his arms out, and pulled the dog's body toward him, wrapping it in the folds of his blue cloak, and held it tightly against his chest as he stood up, walked down the path, and out of sight. I tried to call out, Wait! But my voice was still raspy, stomach still churning, and jaw felt like it was bolted to my face too tightly. It took a moment to stand up, my legs flooded with adrenaline, were like jelly for a few seconds, then, finally, I was stable. I had brick dust and old moss scraped down my back from the wall, and dirt stuck to my cheek and forehead. I took a moment to blink and get my vision back, and spat out the remaining globs of blood between my teeth. Varrock was not my favourite place ever. 
The three black-clad bodies lay still on the ground. The dirt around the two had slowly turned a deep brown as the blood soaked from their throats into the dry ground, and the one slumped against the wall had rolled his lifeless head forward. From a distance, he almost looked like a passed-out drunk, but I knew if you pulled his head back, you'd be met with the bloodied handle of a knife sticking out of his mouth. The blue-cloaked figure and the dog had disappeared into the mess of side streets. I walked over and looked around for them, but there was no sign. I still had the letter to deliver, and with a sigh and the rush of adrenaline slowly fading, I walked over to the wooden door of Aubrey's shop and knocked. From the inside, I heard a commanding voice. Come in. I opened the door and stepped inside the small, round shop. It was a dense, well-packed room, a tattered green rug on the floor, an ageing bookshelf with sparse few books on it against one wall, shelves nailed to the other with various sized bits of wood holding glass jars filled with runes, assorted esoteric junk. Simple wooden chairs and crates pushed against the wall around the room, and papers spilled from various folders onto the floor. On one chair sat an older man, grey hair and beard, a glass monocle gripped by a squinty eye. His clothes were simple, tan trousers and simple tunic, but a cream cape wrapped around his shoulders, clasped together with a flourish of yellow fabric at the front. It flowed down the chair back and just gently trailed onto the ground. He was lazing on the chair, seemingly waiting for a customer, and offered a polite, Do you want to buy some runes? I reached into my pocket and took out the letter from Cedridor, and asked, Are you Aubrey? The man nodded. I stepped forward and held the letter toward him. My name is Strife. I have a letter for you from Cedridor of the Wizard's Tower. Aubrey looked at the letter, then at me. He stood and slowly took it from my outstretched hand. Pulling the blue string loose, he carefully unrolled it, then sat back down on the chair before he started reading. His eyes flicked back and forth, taking in Cedridor's quick scratchings. After a moment, his eyes darted up to meet mine, and he asked, Have you read this? I shook my head and replied, No, Cedridor says it was for you. Aubrey let the faintest of smiles creep across his face, before standing quickly and moving to the cluttered wooden table. He spoke with a barely hidden energy. I have something to check, but I'll have a reply for Cedridor soon. Leave me, return in half an hour. I nodded and turned back through the door and onto the street outside. The bodies were still there. I wondered how long it would be before someone found them. Guards didn't seem to patrol down here, and I can't imagine the locals were thrilled with gang violence either. I doubted three street thugs would cause much of a scene. Although I had questions. Who were the people who bumped into me? Who were the hooded attackers? Who was the cloaked man? Why did he save me? Why did he take the dog? And where the hell were the city guards? It's easy to draw a powerful bow from the safety of a stone tower, but down on the ground, in the slum side of town, I'd not seen a single keeper of the peace. I didn't fancy walking back down the path lined with bodies, so I turned and walked further along past the rune shop, into more side streets, more mud and crumbled brick, more mess. The path eventually met with some grass, opening out into a small clearing, the buildings around it all seemingly facing away, 
and the crumbled remains of an outhouse or shed stood in the centre, lonely and broken. It was quiet, no one was around, and no one was watching. I walked toward the crumbled remains, took my pack from my shoulders, and sat on the ageing wall. I took a few deep breaths in, rubbed my face with my hands, and let out a deep sigh. I suppose I could head back to the main square, crowded and manic but at least safe, or wander the back streets and risk getting attacked again. No weapons, no armour, they didn't have any local area knowledge so running away would be impossible. And as I mulled over my options in my head, a faint gust of wind, a flick of fabric, and I felt someone sit down beside me. I carefully moved my eyes to look, and I could see a dark blue cloak wrapped around the man. It was him, the man who'd saved me. I didn't dare look up. I didn't dare meet his gaze. I stared at the ground in front of me, focused intensely on what thin blades of dying grass I could find, as the cloaked man spoke. I had a feeling you'd get into trouble. I knew that voice. Thank you for listening to episode 7 of Trouble and Strife, a RuneScape audio drama. This show is supported by listeners like you. If you're enjoying the adventure and would like to become a patron, click the link below or head to patreon.com forward slash Josh Strife Hayes. You can contact me on Twitch, Twitter or Discord. All links are in the description below. And as always, have a great day.